Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor uh, Vinny. We trick people into watching our videos and take them from zero to sold in three minutes or less. Oh, fair enough. Have, have you always had kind of this uh, uh, creative mind? Was like a young Joseph into, I mean, I'm not going to say trick, but try to use humor to get things done. No, in fact, the opposite. For So um, I think as a young person, I was always entrepreneurial minded. Hmm. Like I was always the the kid that had a hustle, like a side hustle. Um, ever since I was a little kid, you know, I would, uh, I'd organize my friends to do jobs and I would get paid for it. I mean, I, I've always been, you know, the kind of kid that, that always wanted to figure out ways to make money. Um, but, but I started my business, uh, 20 years ago and we didn't do funny. In fact, we told people when they called us, we don't do funny because the worst thing that you can do is try to be funny and end up looking silly. And that's sadly what 90% of people out there that try to do these kinds of videos mm. end up doing. And so um, about five years ago, we made a huge effort to go out and recruit really good writers. And that's really the big difference. I personally don't consider myself a terribly funny person. I don't write any of our comedy. Um, and so, you know, it's all about finding the right people and putting them on the bus. How would you describe uh, a funny, like a funny video compared to a silly video? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think one feels a little more intelligent, but it depends on the audience, right? So yeah. there's going to be a huge difference. We do videos for, you know, everything from energy shots to laundry detergent to high-end SaaS software for CXOs. So you're going to have a totally different voice speaking to those three different audiences, right? You know, one could be, you know, a young teenager that just wants an energy shot. One could be stay-at-home mom that's doing her laundry. One could be, you know, a, a Harvard-educated CXO. I'm being terribly stereotypical there, but that's what we do in marketing, right? So the difference is really just does it connect with that person? Does it obviously make them laugh? And laughter is just a vehicle to get in your attention. We really don't care about being funny. We care about selling you. Being funny is just a way to hook your attention, get you to keep watching past the first five seconds. And then I've got your attention and I can tell you a story that will create a sale. Is it like dissecting, I guess, their de the demographic that they're going after, figuring out what that demographic finds funny? Because, I mean, American humor to British humor is definitely two different, it uh, is. Different, different things. You can see the office, the original one compared to the, the office. Totally here. different. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I've lived in the United States for 20 years, so I kind of consider myself more in the American culture, but that's why I have a team of writers that are all, you know, local. I would actually caution people I, I, we've done videos for the US and Canada. I mean, I think those are close enough that they work. Um, but I always tell people, don't try to translate humor. It will never work. You've got to have local boots on the ground. You know, I would never do a video for a German company, right? That's just ridiculous. I have no idea what, 
would connect with them. And you definitely don't want to translate, you know, the, the same video and then just translate it into German and it, it would never work. Yeah. Well, let's go back to, I mean, that, that, that young person, that young Joseph that was finding the jobs and getting his friends to do the work <laughs> for me. What kind of, what's were some of those jobs, some of those, those businesses that you're putting together to get your okay. friends to do the work? I'll tell you a funny story. So I, I grew up in a little picturesque village in England, just picture, you know, green rolling hills. Um, I figured out that people wanted their dogs walked. And uh, that was something that a 12 year old me could do. But then I figured out, well, there's more people that have dogs than there are me. So I hired all of my friends and I'd tell them to go walk the dogs. And I, I got to a stage where, you know, my mate would stand around the corner and I would go collect the dog. And we'd end up with like 20 dogs on these leashes. And one day they all had fights, a big fight, and they all ran off. And we had to kind of eat humble pie and tell the owners that we'd lost their dogs. But that was the kind of crazy, silly stuff that I did just to earn a, an extra dollar, but I'd say pound at the time. Well, okay. So you're, you're doing that. You're, you have this entrepreneurial mindset. Next, do you go to university over there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, so I moved out to America to go to university here. Um, my dad was a photographer, so he was a, you know, into advertising. He did all the big campaigns back in the day. He, he also did some huge campaigns for like the Beatles and Jimi Hendrix and did the personal portraits for the Queen of England. So he was pretty good at what he did. And so I kind of grew up with that creative bug in me. So I had this creative side, but also this, you know, entrepreneurial side. So after I finished uh, college and I, and I went to study graphic design, which is kind of the artistic marketing branch of the communications department. So I went to work for a, a couple of companies and, and that's when video was starting to get, you know, wide adoption because broadband was coming out and companies were starting to use video. So um, after a couple, actually probably four years in the corporate world, that's when I quit my job and started uh, the video production studio that I still run today. But like I said, we were traditionally, we were doing, you know, boring kind of infomercials, TV commercials, nothing entertaining, just, you know, meat pitch kind of a videos. Um, but nobody watches TV anymore. So our results started going down and down and our clients started saying, you know, how do we get back to the results that we used to get? And that's when social media was really taking off. But the the secret to these kinds of videos, Vinny, is really when you go online to watch, to scroll through your Facebook feed or to go on YouTube, you're not there to be sold. In fact, you're offended if ads are presented to you. So the closer that your content can mirror those entertaining videos that you're really there to see or just to get entertained in, in any medium, the more likely you are to connect with people if you're trying to sell something. If you just stick a you know a, a simple TV commercial, no one's going to watch it. So that's that's the secret of our success is we trick people because when you start watching our videos, they're instantly fun, but then you stick around because they actually tell a message that relates to you if we've done our targeting right. I mean, I'm going to jump back again. I mean, I'm really curious about you just starting a business and you say it's so nonchalant. I was in college, university. And then I started a business. I mean, 20 years ago, um, yeah. we're talking about starting a business. It's definitely different than two years ago of you can have a phone, you can have 
a camera, fairly oh, cheap yeah. overhead. So what what was that process like 20 year, years ago starting it and getting business and building this? Yeah, business? very, very different. So, you know, today, I'm for those just listening, I'm holding up my phone. This would have cost me $100,000. Hmm. I'm not kidding. To get the kind of quality of images that you can get out of an iPhone today or a Samsung, you know, 4K beautiful images it would have cost me a hundred grand. I would have dreamed of a camera like this. Um, but the way that I started is I was working as the marketing director for a for a actually a hot tub company, and I did a bunch of infomercials and TV commercials for them, and people saw it. That's the nature of what I do is lots of people see it, and so I started getting clients on the side and I was basically freelancing from my basement. I spent a bunch of money basically converting my basement into a really rinky dink makeshift studio. And I would do work at, in the evenings. And eventually my wife just said, pick a job. Cause I was working a full-time job during the day while freelancing at night. Um, but you know, there's that balance that every entrepreneur goes through when they say, can I really give up my stability and my benefits and my 401k? And I had, you know, two kids at the time and a, a wife and a mortgage and all of these, you know, things that stop entrepreneurs from taking the leap. Um, and I just had to say, do I really believe that I'm, that I have something that's a marketable skill? And because I was getting these side projects, you know, it, it wasn't making me rich, but it at least gave me the vision that, if I really put all of my time and energy into doing that, I, I, I could, I had a pretty good shot 20 years later, you know, I'm still here. Do you remember what that moment was that said, okay, I can do that. I can risk basically the, yeah. mortgage, the kids, the, the marriage. Yeah, I do. It was one project. It was actually, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, the little giant ladder. Uh, they did an infomercial that was the first big project that I really did as, as a freelancer. And we did over $200 million in sales off of that infomercial. Now I was only one of three companies that produced that, but that gave me huge bragging rights. I could walk into any office and say, yeah, I was part of a production that made $200 million. What have you done lately? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you got to kind of be that cocky person that can, that, yeah. that, that can put that out there. But that gave me huge, you know, foot in the door abilities to go into businesses. So I would say to anyone listening, you know, you, you've got to really hook yourself to one really good project that has really great results. Hmm. Once you've done that and you've proven, you know, it's basically a, a proof of concept that yes, I've done this and I can, probably do it again for you then go market the crap out of that one case study hmm. and from there okay you're getting more business you're 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 growing i mean was there ever a point where you go instead of making infomercials i want to make films or, or movies or yeah people ask me that all the time i don't know why i just don't have that bug i'm I love to I love to be creative and I have done side projects like passion projects um but but feature films to me I mean what we do now are 3 minute videos I think I'm too ADD to focus my life for 3 years on one video which essentially what a movie would be 
And so these kinds of videos that we do now, um, you know, there, there's two things that I love about it. Number one is that every, you know, month or two, we're on a different project. So it always stays fresh and there's always the next challenge. But the other thing is, you know, when we finish one of these videos and we release them into the world, the other big high that I get is when they just get millions and millions of views. I mean, just to give you an example, before we launched funnysalesvideos.com, so just to take you back, 20 years ago, I started Procreative Studios, which is the video production studio that I still have. Five years ago is when we launched Funny Sales Videos, which is where we basically said, okay, we're going to keep our production studios, but we're going to focus and basically create another brand where all we do is funny sales videos. And before we launched that, the biggest video we'd ever done online got 100,000 views, which we thought was pretty good. Today, we have a campaign that's about to hit 100 million views millions of dollars in sales. I mean, these kinds of videos just transform company sales pipelines. And so when we release a video and it goes out to that many people, you know, people start liking them, they start commenting on them, they start sharing them. There's this whole other, you know, buzz around the work once it's finished and you put it out there and, you know, people like it. I mean, Building a, a, a product, building a company from the ground up like you, you have, you had to leverage your time, right? Leverage your people. Sure. Oh, yeah. What was the hardest to, to leverage, hardest to give up ownership of? Or not ownership, but give up like the day-to-day -day aspect of it. Was it writing the scripts? Was it the filming? I'm guessing you were doing some of the acting when it first started. No, 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 no. I, I, I never get in front of the camera. Very, oh, very okay, never, okay. No, we, we hire actors for all of that stuff. Even when you first started? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm, I'm behind the camera, right? Oh. I'm operating. I'm, I'm directing my film crew. I got a million hats that I'm wearing. I, don't, I can't be in front of the camera as well. Yeah. Um, so the, the hardest thing to release, uh, I don't know, maybe convincing my wife to, to make the jump. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she likes her security that that was probably, you know, personally, every entrepreneur has to figure out, you know, where's my support system? You know, if, I, if I'm going to do this, whether it's a mentorship, uh, whether it's, you know, friends and family, whether it's a business partner. And that's a whole nother topic. I mean, I've had a couple business partners um, throughout this journey that I don't have anymore, you know, figuring out is that do I take on capital? Do I take on, you know, investment? I mean, those are all hurdles that you have to jump through. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question. I yeah, no, no, definitely. I mean, well, I guess, I guess we'll, we'll go back to a couple of them. I mean, with your wife, I mean, how hard was that convincing to allow you to quit your, your steady paycheck? Because you had the faith because you got that one opportunity, that one job. Right. Yet telling her that, selling her that. Yeah. I mean, how was that process? Yeah, that was, I mean, that was tough. That was the biggest hurdle that, you know, if she had a, had a different mindset, I wouldn't be here today, right? I had to have her support to, to make that leap. And it was a leap. Um, and I think, you know, really what, what cemented it was doing freelance stuff to begin with, right? So you don't just completely jump out of the ship without a life preserver. You've got to have something that you can say, you know, I know that I can at least pay the mortgage for the next three months or whatever it is. 
And so creating, you know, those side clients. And then what I actually did is I took my full-time job. So I was the marketing director of a, an international hot tub company. I took them and I basically said, I, I had to sit down with the CEO. I said, I'm, I'm starting an agency, but I'd love for you to be my first client. And that was, you know, in my mind, one of the biggest blessings is that he said, great, you know, we, we, we know we're going to lose you. Let's, let's keep you at least as a, as a vendor. So I put, I got on retainer with them. I think it was like $4,000 a month back and 20 years ago. Right. So that would cover my nut, my mortgage and my, and my bills. I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't live off of that, but it would at least make sure that I have some steady income. Then I went to little giant ladders and I did the exact same thing. And I think I got a $4,000 a month retainer from them. So immediately I started with an $8,000 a month, which that, you know, that's not bad for 20 years ago for somebody that really had very little overhead. And that's how I started. So I had my security blanket and then I went out and just recruited more and more clients. So, I mean, you, you brought it up briefly about bringing on partners and kind of not having the partners later on. Yeah, I mean, with the security blanket and starting off with, with that kind of baseline, I mean, what were the points where you go, I want to bring on a, a yeah. partner and why? I mean, yeah. so what I did and, you know, I'm probably unique to your listeners, but I, I'm sure they can draw some parallels is I needed capital, right? I was, you know, three years out of college, um, had really no amount of savings. And I wanted to go buy a video production studio, like a physical building. I needed to fill it full of the latest camera equipment. But to this day, 20 years later, have never taken on a dollar of debt. How did I do it? I found somebody who had a complementary skill. So I do the creative. I went out and found somebody who was a media buyer. So what he did is he bought TV, radio, billboard space, not the creative. He was a negotiator, kind of like a travel agent of media. He bought in bulk so that he could get it cheaper. So I basically approached him and I said, let's start an agency where we'll offer both services, media buying and the creative, basically everything that you would need to, to run your advertising. But I said, you know, I don't have any money, so you're going to need to put up, you know, the, the collateral for us to go buy this building and buy a bunch of equipment. And um, again, you have to sell yourself. I, I sold him hard and he bought. And for 15 years, we had a fantastic agency that made a lot of money. Um, at one time, we were told we were the, the biggest um, buyers of media on the local NBC affiliate here in Salt Lake City. So we were doing really good. Um, and then, uh, you know, we, we parted ways. I won't go into the details, but there's there's many, many, you know, country songs that have been written about breakups. Maybe they should have some about partnerships. We, we, we were still we were still friends, but we parted ways. Uh, and we'll leave it at that. So I would say don't put all of your eggs in one basket. And the good thing is during that partnership, you know, I could kind of see you've always got to look at, well, what would happen if your partner got run over by a bus tomorrow? Right. That's what Mr. Wonderful on Shark Tank's always talking about. Yeah. What would happen? So I was always kind of, you know, hedging my bets. And I had certain clients that didn't meet, need media buying. 
And so when we split, you know, he took some clients, I took some clients, and that was uh, six, seven years ago. Uh, and I've been solo since then. Did you, if you were to start another business separate from where, you, where you're at now and had to bring on another partner or look to bring on another partner, is there lessons learned from the past that you would make sure that you would lay the groundwork for a future partnership? So personally, I wouldn't do it any different. Okay. I, I, I believe that, you know, certain people are put in your life for certain reasons and mm. I don't have any regrets, but I probably would say to people, you know, if you're going to be investing your future in a partnership, you know, it's, it's not like speed dating. You, you really need to get to know that person and really figure out a business plan. And um, maybe I would have that done and that done that differently and really I'm not a terribly litigious person. And so we didn't have like, you know, reams of contracts and stuff like that. It was more of a handshake and a friendship. I probably would have done that different. So I would say do your due diligence. Um, background checks are probably a pretty good thing. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, uh, no, I understand. The uh, now You talked about that you had kids 20 years ago. So I'm guessing your your kids are, late teens or early twenties. Yep. I have a 19 year old, a 17 year old and a 14 year old. Do either of them want to fall in your footsteps? I mean, that's a good and... question. Um, no. Okay. No. the, uh, where, where do you see your business expanding to? I mean, it seems like technology is constantly changing and the way we, we take on information with TikToks, with videos like that, they go shorter and shorter. I mean, yeah. where do you see yourself and your business going in the next five years? Yeah. So rewind 10 years, we were disrupted by technology, right? Yeah. Television hadn't changed for decades. And then all of a sudden comes along TiVo and DVR and Hulu and Netflix. And that totally disrupted my agency. So what is the next TiVo and DVR? I think it's probably, I'm just speculating here, but it, it may be the metaverse, right? So how um, Mark Zuckerberg, everyone thinks Mark Zuckerberg invented the metaverse because he's using the word meta, but, you know, it's been, it's been um, cre in creation for many, many years. But I see augmented reality, virtual reality, the way that we consume media changing. Um, you know, if if you look at Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse keynote that he gave, what, a year ago or so, there's some real paradigm shifting technology that he talks about in that video that I think will have a ripple down. However, having said all of that, no robot, at least, you know, not in the foreseeable future. And obviously that's famous last words, right? I don't see any robot coming out with the ability to come up with brilliant stories tell jokes and create the kinds of videos that we or the kinds of stories what will change is not the stories it's how we deliver them right so instead of shooting them you know with my iphone i don't shoot videos with my iphone you know instead of shooting them with a fifty thousand dollar red camera like i have in the other room i'll be filming them with stereoscopic cameras or 360 degree cameras so that people can experience these videos in a virtual world where they can look all around, look up and look down. So I see that being the thing that I'm kind of keeping my eye on. Um, 
but I still think it's a long ways out. I mean, jumping back to something you just said, uh, talking about 10 years ago when there was, you kind of had to change the way you're doing things because TiVo and things like were coming out. What did it, did it happen pretty immediately? Did you kind of see it on the horizon or what happened there? Yeah, I kind of, um, I kind of buried my head in the sand for a little bit too long um, because really good entrepreneurs see what's coming around the corner before their competitors do. And I don't think we did on that. I think we stayed, you know, clinging to this, you know, TV has been around for 50 years. Who am I to say it's going to be any different? And I didn't adopt and embrace the social media as quickly as I should have. Um, so I, you know, I, I want to make sure I don't make that mistake again this time. But, but yes, that, that is a lesson learned is, you know, I, one of my clients does technology conferences every year and I go help them produce video, film the events and they bring in these futurists and technologists, you know, big, big companies like, you know, the co-founder of Tesla was there last year and the year before, you know, you've got basically a room of 50 of the biggest brands in the world, all, you know, in kind of a closed circuit, no media allowed. I'm the only guy in there with, with, that's allowed with a camera. So I kind of get a peek into the conversation, which is what's happening in the next five years. What are we as big companies? What's the technology that's coming around the corner? And, you know, just seeing how they, and these are companies, legacy companies, you know, very, very old companies, that you would think are kind of stodgy and stuck in their ways, but they're not. They're constantly buying new startups because they want their technology. They want they want it, even if it's not the technology, it's the kids that are coming out of Harvard, these brilliant minds that think a totally different way that will future-proof them from disruption. And so, mm. you know, I, I take some lessons from that. And, you know, I'm, I'm always interested in what is the next big thing. Do you use any of those kind of concepts in, in the hiring process when you bring on new talent, new people? Yeah. I mean, obviously I'm always looking for younger people. So, you know, I'm, I'm 47. Um, and so I don't use the platforms that my 19 year old daughter uses. Right. So she's on very different social media platforms than I. So when I'm bringing in writers on a project that I know is going to go on TikTok. That's a completely different audience. And so I need younger people that write in a certain way that will appeal to that demographic. Um, and then I'll also, you know, I, I also want to quiz people when the scripts are being developed. You know, is this connecting with this age group of people? And I'll test, I'll do focus groups. Um, so, yeah. Is that talent? Is that in-house or is that like private contractors? And yeah, most most of my team, you know, I any video that I produce probably gets touched by 20 people on my team. I only have a very small amount of employees. Most of them are freelancers. So the okay. film crew, most of those are freelancers. The writers are all freelancers. Um, because it takes us four months to produce a video. Yeah. And so we're going from you know, concept and brainstorming to scripting. Then we don't need scripting. We're going into production for about a month. And so it wouldn't make sense for me to have, you know, full-time people doing nothing until the next project kind of gets into the pipeline. Because we only really take on a couple of projects at a time. We want to focus on, you know, taking each one through the steps. Was there ever a time where, I mean, when you're maybe younger and more, uh, 
try and look at the bottom line and say, we can find enough work for these people. We'll do it in-house. Or was it always, this is the best way, best financial way of doing it? No. So I used to have a boiler room of like 15 full-time salespeople. And we would just churn out corporate videos. Again, this is before the funny, right? Mm -hmm. So we would call up companies and basically, you know, do telephone sales to get them to buy our video packages. Then I'd have a whole bunch of other film crews and they were on. So we had about 20 people that were actually employees at the time. And it just got to the point where I hated what I did. Oh. I had absolutely no pride in the work that we were doing because it was just a chop shop. You know, we would we would call companies up and do a company video that would be a half of a day of filming. And then I'd have one of my editors do it. I wouldn't even really look at it that much. It would kind of go through the process without, you know, any real um, TLC and, because we were selling them for pretty cheap. Now we're more focused on we want to find the right customer that wants a fantastic video that most importantly is going to transform their sales. And you're never going to do that with a video that takes three days to produce. Our videos take four months now from script through to completion. And every single one I'm proud as can be, it's kind of like birthing a child, right? You start, you know, a child takes nine months to grow in the womb. A video takes us two months to go from, you know, whiteboard to finished script. And then it takes us another two months to go from script that's ready to produce to video that's ready to release. And so you want to be proud of something that's going to take you that much time. And I personally have kind of reversed my psychology. I really don't care about building up some huge company anymore. I'm more proud of creating great content. And those two don't always go together in a creative environment. <sighs> My guess is when you switch it over from the chop shop that you kind of talked about to what it is now, the only way to do that is to raise the prices. Yes. Right. So was there any like when you were had this vision of switching over from that to this of kind of being scared that people wouldn't yes. want your price? Okay. Yeah. And I'll give you an example. So our videos now are at least 10 times the price of, of what, what we used to do. Actually, yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty close to 10 times. But here's what gives me the confidence is the very first project that we took on when we launched funny sales videos, we kind of did a test, right? To see, would there be a market for this? Would there be the results that would justify that, you know, going from four days of work to four months of work, obviously we had to increase our prices dramatically. Um, but our very first video was for a very, very small company, um, we charged $30,000 for the video. And for a super niche, niche company, it created a half a million views. And more importantly, sorry, I'm, I'm getting my figures wrong here. It was three videos between them, half a million views and $500,000 in revenue. So, I mean, you know, what, yeah. what would you rather have? A $3,000 video that's going to make you nothing or a $30,000 video that's going to make you hundreds of thousands of dollars? And, and that was the beginning. Since then, our numbers have just skyrocketed, which is why last year, 90% of the time we were booked up. And if you called us to hire us, we would put you on a waiting list. That's how good marketing works is that you create it and because it goes out to so many people, you get such a buzz. 
and we get more referrals. Right now, January is always a slow time, but when the year picks up, we'll be back to you know fully booked for most of the year. If someone's listening right now um, and they're trying to put together uh, put together a video, I know they can't do it at the level that you put it at. Uh, is there any um, ideas or things, words of wisdom when putting yes. together a video? Yeah. So, I mean, the reason why, so we have a free ebook that anyone can download. It's called eight steps to creating a funny sales video. And the reason we put it together is simply because we got so many people calling us saying we want to hire you and we wouldn't take them on because we were booked. So we wanted to give them something to say, you know, use this, see some results and then come back to us next year and hire us to do it you know, the right way, right? Because we we basically say, if you follow these eight steps, you'll improve your return on the ads that you're currently running, mm. um, regardless of whether you hire us to do it or you do it yourself. And so you can download that at funnysalesvideos.com. Um, and, and, you know, it's a pretty, it's a pretty good walk you through. Here are the steps, step by step. And then obviously, you know, once you've produced your video and you see better results, um, our goal is to say, you know, take that money and call us and hire us to do it right for the next time and get even better results. And, and if you're listening right now, well, of course you're listening right now, the, uh, go into the show notes and you'll find that, that website. <clears throat> I'll, I'll finish it off with this question. I thank you, Joseph, uh, for, for being here. Is there a kind uh, a style of company or company that you haven't done advertising for that you would like to do it in the future? Gosh, after 20 years, I mean, I, I can't think of an industry that we haven't done a video for. Um, most people say my, my, or a lot of people will say, well, my business isn't the kind for a funny video. Hmm. And I tell them that's the exact wrong thinking, because guess what? Your competitors are saying that same thing. And that results in everyone creating the same kind of boring stuff that everyone ignores. So the more you think this isn't the right fit for me, the more I say it's a perfect fit for you. Because it doesn't matter, like I said earlier, who your target is. It's not B2B or B2C. It's H to H. It's human to human. Regardless of what industry you're in, you like to hear a story. You like to smile. You like to laugh. And if we can connect those elements to something that relates to a problem that you have and that we can solve it, that's where a really good funny sales video connects where other videos just don't. All right. Well, I'm going to change the question a little bit then. What's the Because what's the one company that has a perception of being very boring from the outside looking in that you've done a video for? Okay, so I had a company come to me um, about, about a year and a half ago. They're a medical device company, right? So they sold a medical device um, that it was kind of like, um, it's called the Pain Tuna Pro, right? It's kind of like a vibrator. But it, it relieves headaches, it relieves back pain, it relieves shoulder pain, muscle pain. And the medical industry is notoriously boring, right? When have you, said, when have you ever seen a Super Bowl <laughs> TV commercial for a medical company? Don't yeah. think you have. And so we took that as a big challenge. Uh, one year later, we sat down with that company and recorded a case study video. They have doubled their sales because they're zigging where other people are zagging. They're doing the opposite of what people expect them to do. Fair enough. Well, they're good. Thank you, Joseph, for being here.
If you're listening right now, I know I'm going to do it. Uh, for, well, first go to the website, watch the videos. So you get a track record of it. Yeah, go in there, get the ebook. Uh, I know I'm going to do it. I'm going to probably read through it, go through it really, really fast. Please subscribe to the podcast, but more importantly, go to the website. Thank you guys for watching. Hope you have a great one. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.